Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Hi friends, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 8. In just a moment, we are going to read verses 26 through 40. And we're continuing on in our series, Restoring Hope, where we are looking particularly at the book of Acts and how God can take situations of hopelessness and bring new life and joy and love. If you missed last week when we began the series, you can go on our website or download our podcast and catch up on what you might have missed. But today, we continue on by reading from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'll begin. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is what the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading said. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders for the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, but the eunuch, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So I want to begin with a question. Uh, if you could go anywhere in the world, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go? I asked my grandfather this question. Grandpa, if if you could go anywhere, where would it be? And he is part of the greatest generation. Grandpa served in World War II. He served in the Korean War in Vietnam. He is, he's given his life to service of this country. And when I asked him, knowing that he had been pretty much all over the world, when I asked him the question, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? His response without blinking an eye was the United States of America. I want to see 
the beauty of all 50 states, and I've only got one or two more to go. That's an awesome answer. But I wonder for you, where would you go if you could go anywhere, anywhere in the world? Where would you go? For me, I would love to go to Scotland. That's one of my plans in the near future, to go and to experience the home of golf, maybe play St. Andrews if I'm lucky. But where would you go? And now I want you to imagine that you are actually going there, that you have made your way. You boarded a plane, and you made your way to that destination. And then I want you to imagine you got off the plane, you've got your passport in your hand, and you arrive at customs, you hand your passport over, filled with excitement, ready to go on this adventure, only to be told, you don't belong. This is a place you've wanted to go. And then you arrive, and you are told in no uncertain terms, you aren't welcome here. There's just something about you that makes you a foreigner to us. It makes you someone that we are simply not going to let in. If that were to happen to you, how, how would that make you feel? At first, it would probably make you angry then it would probably give you a little bit of disorientation. Why? What have I done? What's happening? And then eventually it would give way probably to a sense of sadness. I wanted to go to this place so badly. And then finally I get here and they tell me I'm not welcome. How would you feel if you were told that you don't belong? It would be a terrible feeling wouldn't it? Yeah. Now imagine that you have traveled 1,500 miles because the story that we read today in the book of Acts, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, that's exactly what is happening. This Ethiopian eunuch, he has traveled 1,500 miles from his home in Ethiopia to Jerusalem because as Luke tells us, he has come to worship at the temple. He has come because if he could go anywhere in the world, it would be to the temple, to the place where good Jews of the time believed. This is where God lives. This is where heaven meets earth and everything is as it is supposed to be. And this Ethiopian eunuch, if you could go anywhere in the world, he went to the temple. 1,500 miles. That's going from here to New York and back. 1,500 miles, not by car, not by plane, but by chariot. This is a once-in-a-lifetime trip that this guy would have taken. And he is so excited to arrive at the temple. Now, I want to back up for just a moment and give you a little bit of context about who this Ethiopian eunuch is. Because in order to understand the power of this story, we have to really wrap our minds around who is this character and how did he get to this place. So, here we go. For, for Jews in the time of Jesus, and really even Jewish people today, there are essentially two types of people in the world. There are Jews God's chosen people, the, the children of Abraham. And then there are Gentiles, and that is essentially everybody else who isn't a Jew, you're a Gentile. Well, this Ethiopian eunuch, scholars agree that he was a Gentile. 
And now, if you're a good Jew, you are going to subdivide the category of Gentiles into really three types. On the one hand, you have Gentiles that are pagans. Then you have Gentiles that are proselytes. Proselytes are Gentiles that have decided they want to become Jewish. They want to worship Yahweh, the Creator, God, the only one true God. They want to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they decide, these proselyte Gentiles, that they're going to become Jewish. They're going to get circumcised. They're going to follow Torah. They're going to do everything they need to do. And then there is a third category of Gentile, and that's this. You are a God-fearer. You are someone who believes in Yahweh. You're someone who respects the Jewish tradition, who holds it in awe and says it is a good thing. But you are not willing to become a full-fledged Jew. So you are a Gentile God-fearer. The Ethiopian eunuch, scholars believe, would have fallen into this last category. He is a God-fearer. And part of the reason that we know he isn't a full-fledged Jew or a proselyte is because he is, in fact, a eunuch. For those of you that do not know what a eunuch is, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated. Now, I know this concept seems incredibly awkward to us in the Western world, but you have to remember, we are different than folks living in the time of Jesus. That in the ancient Near East, the concept of someone being a eunuch, someone undergoing the process of castration, while it wasn't an everyday thing, it, it really actually wasn't as awkward or strange as you might think. In fact, Anyone, a male, who generally served on the high court of a queen, they would have undergone the process of castration for a variety of reasons we're not going to get into now. But it would have been something that everyone understood. If you serve on a royal court of a queen and you're a man, then probably you are castrated. And if you're castrated, well, then you cannot, by definition, become a full-fledged Jewish proselyte. And the reason for that, friends, is that according to the Torah, according to the Jewish tradition, it was wrong to be castrated. If you were castrated, then you were not allowed to go to the temple. You were not allowed to gather in the assembly of the people of God. This is written in the Torah. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, in a, in a verse that everyone would have known, here's what we read, that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or by cutting may enter into the assembly of the Lord. So, so this Ethiopian eunuch, he loved God. He wanted to worship God. Given the opportunity to go anywhere in the world, the one place he said he wanted to go was the temple. And so he embarks on this 1,500-mile journey by chariot, arriving at the temple. You can imagine the place he's wanted to go his entire life. And when he arrives, with people knowing who he was, in a chariot dressed undoubtedly in Ethiopian garb as part of the royal entourage, and when he arrives at the temple, the place where he has wanted to go for a lifetime, what he would have been told without question was that, my friend, you don't 
belong. You are not welcome. You can stay on the margins of the temple courts. You can stay around the periphery, and we're glad that you have a respect for God and for the Jewish tradition. But don't forget that you, Ethiopian eunuch, you don't belong. And you cannot help but wonder, how would that have felt? How would that have impacted this man who traveled a lifelong journey to arrive at this place only to be told, you aren't welcome here. Because that's exactly what would have happened. And we enter into the story on the aftermath of that moment as the Ethiopian eunuch is leaving Jerusalem, undoubtedly angry and sad and disoriented. We encounter this Ethiopian eunuch for the first time in chapter 8, where he is now going home. He, he's going home, and the story says that he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And I'll get back to that in just a moment. But, but leaving the temple, being rejected, being told you're not welcome, this is exactly the moment when Philip one of the earliest followers of Jesus, is given this little inclination, hey, Philip, I want you to go up beside this chariot. I want you to walk alongside of this chariot and listen. Because when you do, you're going to hear that this eunuch is interested in the way of God. And so Philip goes alongside this chariot for just a moment. And what we read in Luke's story is that he hears the eunuch reading from the scroll of Isaiah, reading in particular from this final section that, that, that dreams, the prophet Isaiah in this final section of Isaiah, he dreams about a day when God is going to restore and redeem and renew all things. And this final part of Isaiah is about the final moment when God will make all things right. And Philip walks up beside the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch while he's reading from the scroll. And with a little bit of courage, Philip says to the man, do you understand what you're reading? And you could imagine, he looks down at Philip, surely wondering, what is he going to say? And he utters these words, how am I going to know if someone won't tell me? So he invites him up into the chariot, and in this beautiful section in chapter 8, Philip begins to explain all about the last half of this prophet, uh, of this prophet's writing. He explains about the suffering servant who was wounded for our transgressions. He explains all about Jesus. And that's what we read about in Acts, but I don't want to just stop there because Acts is inviting us to keep reading this story of Isaiah because every Jew in the time would have known what came next. Just a few short chapters later, after the suffering servant, so Philip explains, Jesus is this one that you have been reading about. Jesus is this one who you have been hoping for, but keep on going. Because a little bit later on down the line, just two chapters later in Isaiah 56, what we read about, what this eunuch 
who had been rejected, this eunuch who had been told, you aren't welcome. What we read about in Isaiah chapter 56 is this bold dream of God in Isaiah 56 verses 4 and 5. That when God restores and redeems and recreates all things, thus says the Lord to the eunuch, Isaiah says, who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will within my temple and its walls grant a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters." to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and who does what pleases me. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The eunuch had been reading about this day when even he would be accepted, when even he would be welcomed home in this place where he longed to go. And then he reads about the servant who will make it possible. And he says to Philip, who is this man? And Philip with boldness and with with grace and with truth says to the man, it is Jesus. And you, sir, are welcome. Jesus has come and this revolution of grace and hope, it has begun in and through him. Your sins have been forgiven. The walls that kept you out have been broken down and Philip looks to this Ethiopian eunuch who just a few days or maybe even hours earlier had been told you don't belong and you aren't welcome and you're not one of us. Philip looks to him And he says to the eunuch, who is a good neighbor, to the eunuch who keeps the Sabbath, welcome home. Because God loves you, and God is with you, and God is for you, and God is ahead of you, leading you into a future that is better than anything you can ask or imagine. And I know so many people have told you you are out, but now, because of Jesus, I declare that you are in. Whew. <laughs> ah, isn't that the beauty? of the kingdom of God that this revolution declares so many who have been told you are not worthy, you are not smart enough, you are not good enough, you don't dress sharp enough. Jesus says you are loved and you are in. And friends, I have to tell you, when I read this story of the Ethiopian eunuch, I cannot help But ask myself this question, and I hope you are asking this question as well. How many people have we told? How many people have been told by the church that they don't belong? How many people have been told by the church that they aren't good enough? That they don't look like us or think like us or vote like us. And they have been told, you can stay on the margins. You can stay on the periphery. I'm glad that you are inquiring about this Jesus movement. But I want you to never forget that really, you don't belong. How many people 
because of things that aren't central, because of the color of someone's skin, because of the amount of money in their bank account, because of the job that they have or don't have, because of any number of things. How many people have been told by the church of Jesus Christ, you don't belong? And what we need to do on a day like today is to stop and take a deep look in the mirror so that we might understand that we are called to not be like the temple establishment and like so many of the Jews during the time of Jesus who erected barriers and said, you aren't in. But instead, we are called to be people like Philip who walk alongside people who are different than us. Do you understand what you're reading? Let me show you a better way. We are called to be like Philip who proclaimed this good news of the gospel and then we invite people in to this revolutionary party that is known as the kingdom of God. Far too many people have been told they are not welcome. And today what I want us to know and to declare from the depths of our bones that in the kingdom of God, all are loved. I'll never forget at my church in Virginia, one of my favorite church members, Ethel, God rest her soul, she's gone to be with Jesus now, but she was 101 years old when she died. And when I was there, she was 96. And I'll never forget, there was one day at our church where the town drunk came forward and he joined. And he was known, there were like 400 people in Standardsville, Virginia. So he comes forward and he joins and there's celebration and there's excitement. And when the service is over, Ethel, this saint of God, she comes to me and she said, Will, I hope you know we shouldn't have let him join. He doesn't belong here. As a matter of fact, Will, I want you to know he's the laziest. I'm not going to tell you what she said next. But he's the laziest person in the whole of Greene County. He doesn't belong. And to this saint of God, to this woman who loved Jesus, I had to remind her in that moment, Ethel, maybe he doesn't belong. But on our own merits, neither do we. By our own accolades, neither do we, but thanks be to God, the servant who suffered and died and was resurrected for us opens the door for all sorts of people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but thanks be to Jesus Christ who proclaims to that man in Greene County and to everyone who's been told they don't belong, this resurrected Jesus gives an alternative vision. Welcome home. And our task is to be bold like Philip. But I hope you know that sort of boldness it actually wouldn't have come easy to him. It wouldn't have been something that was just natural to Philip's existence. Because Philip, historically, what we know is that he was born in an area known as Bethsaida. Bethsaida was this small little fishing village in the north of Galilee. And along with two other cities, Bethsaida was part of what is known as the Orthodox Triangle. And outside of Jerusalem itself, the Orthodox Triangle would have been one of the most religious areas in the whole of Israel. They would have known the Torah. 
They would have known the rules. They would have known the regulations. They would have been pure in heart in their attempts to follow God well. And Philip was from this area. And, and what happens to Philip in this moment, friends, it is absolutely astonishing because Philip sits in the chariot and he explains the scriptures and he introduces this eunuch to the revolution of Jesus Christ. And then the eunuch, this Gentile from a far off place, a cosmopolitan area, not looking or acting or thinking like Philip, the Orthodox Jew from the triangle of conservative religion. He looks to Philip and he says these words, oh my word, I didn't know that this was possible and Jesus is come and there is some water and in this beautiful moment, the eunuch looks to Philip and he says, what is to stop me from being baptized? What is to stop me from continuing on with this Jesus revolution that declares I am welcome? And the short answer for Philip is in fact quite a lot. There's quite a lot, eunuch, that would keep you from getting baptized. Number one, you're a Gentile. You're not like us. So we don't do that. Number two, you're a eunuch. And according to Deuteronomy, the, the Torah, the book that I hold more valuable than any other Philip would think, I'm not supposed to associate with you. You're a Gentile. You're a eunuch. And for crying out loud, the third reason that it would keep you from getting baptized is I just met you. We haven't gone through all the boxes of orthodoxy. I haven't checked out your credentials to make sure that you are, in fact, legitimate. The eunuch says, what keeps me from being baptized? And in the mind of Philip, it's quite a lot. See, but Philip had met Jesus. Philip had encountered the revolution and his life had been turned upside down. So what keeps me from being baptized, the eunuch says. In Philip's mind, it's quite a lot. But in the eyes of Jesus and in the revolution that is known as the kingdom of God, what keeps him from being baptized? Well, friends, it is nothing. And so they stopped the chariot and they go down to the water, and this eunuch is baptized, being told just like Jesus was, this is my son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. Welcome to the party, my friend. You are welcome here. And he emerges out of the water, and in this story, Philip leaves and goes in a different way, never to see this eunuch ever again. But I love what Luke does. That coming out of those waters, recognizing that, yes, I've been told I don't belong, but Jesus has shown me a better way. What Luke says is that the eunuch goes back home rejoicing. He goes back home, leaving behind the anger of rejection, leaving behind the sadness that, that resulted from being told you don't belong. And instead now, because of Jesus, he goes home rejoicing. And I love this story because a little later on in about 180 
A.D., one of the early church fathers, a man named Irenaeus. Irenaeus, who would have had direct relationship, maybe not with the apostles, but people who knew the apostles. He would have known them. And in 180, in one of his writings, Irenaeus says that this Ethiopian eunuch, the one who received the good news, that he was welcome in the Jesus movement, he goes back home to Ethiopia and he proclaims to all in his city this good news of the gospel. And isn't that what happens? Isn't that what happens, not then, but now as well, that when people who have been rejected and told they don't belong and told they aren't good enough, when they find a home in Jesus, friends, what they discover is this news is too good to keep to myself, and I've got to go and share it with others. (laughs) You belong, Philip told the eunuch. And he, for the first time, felt hope. And it was restored. For the first time, he felt grace because Jesus is alive. For the first time, he felt like I belong. And we could really just stop the conversation at that point. And that would be completely fitting. But I want to continue on and just mention one other thing. Because for so many people, it is easy to hear the story about the eunuch and get fixated on the fact that he was castrated, to get fixed on the fact that that he is an incredibly odd bird to people like me and to people like you in 2021 in America. But I want to move past the eunuch part for just a moment, because if we can get past it, what we will realize is that that man actually has a whole lot more in common with me and with you than we could ever imagine. Because, you see, the eunuch, when you read in the context, what we know is that, number one, he was in charge of the financial house of the queen. The name Candace, it's not her first name, but it's a title And this eunuch was in charge of the financial house of the queen of Ethiopia. He had access to unlimited wealth, unlimited privilege. So he had money. And he comes to Jerusalem in a chariot, which was reserved for kings and military leaders and people who have, not the have-nots, So he comes with wealth, and he comes with power. He comes with the prestige of the royal house. For crying out loud, this man, when Philip meets him, he's reading a scroll from Isaiah. And this was in a time period where printed books didn't exist to have a scroll. It was a huge deal. It meant you had power and you had privilege It meant you were the cream of the crop, and everyone around this Ethiopian eunuch would have known it, that he had what everyone else wanted. He had money. He had power. He had influence. He had an incredible life. And what sticks out to me when I read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is not the fact that he was castrated, although that's an incredibly important point. 
But what sticks out to me in our context in which we live is that this man had absolutely everything that culture says is valuable. This eunuch had everything that you and I would have ever hoped for, and yet, and yet, he is still searching for something. In the words of you two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And this man who has power and prestige and everything you could ever want leaves his home country and makes a 1,500-mile journey because he is searching for something bigger and he is searching for something better and he is searching for a life that has meaning and joy and hope and all the things that culture says will give that to you. He has them, and yet there is emptiness. And it is only when he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, when Philip proclaims to him, there's a better way. It is only in that moment where we see him rejoicing. (laughs) I wonder how many of you watching online or on television this morning. You've got everything you could ever want. Your career, it's wonderful. Your family, it's picture perfect, at least on the surface. How many of you have become the definition of the American dream? And people look at you with awe and with envy, and they look at you as a model for what success looks like. And how many of you this morning are watching, and you cannot help but think to yourself, I still want more. There's still something inside of me that knows there is bigger and better and richer and fuller life, and it has nothing to do with power and money and stuff. Philip says to the Ethiopian, there is a better way. And today I want you to know, there's a better way. And you might not, use, you might not be accustomed to being told you don't belong. <laughs> Maybe your entire life you have been told you are the pinnacle of success, but you are still looking for something. And today I want you to know that that something has a name. And it is Jesus. And you too can rejoice. The beauty of this story is that out of hopelessness, out of loss and rejection, what we find is that in the revolution of the kingdom of God, what the eunuch is told and what I am told you are told is that the doors are open. The revolution has begun and you are welcome here. That, my friends, is really good news. Let's take a moment now. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for this morning. Today, I want us to talk specifically and pray in particular for my friends who are watching online or on television. And God, they have been told again and again they aren't good enough. 
that they don't belong in this beautiful revolution of Jesus. And today, oh God, I want them to know deep down in the depths of their bones that you love them. And so do we. So God, help us to understand there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we have found in Christ Jesus, that all are welcome in this place. And Lord, there's another group here today I want to pray for. Those that have achieved and those that have uh, succeeded. And yet, Lord, they are empty. They are searching like that eunuch. God, today, on this day, help them to rejoice because Jesus is with them. Help them to rejoice because the door is open. Help them to rejoice because grace is possible. God, we ask that you would continue to be with us as we worship. This is our prayer, and we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.